0: Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks Podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked on Bucs, at Jarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore nation hope you all enjoyed the mock draft monday episode if you have not heard that recommend you go back and check it out tis the season the draft will be here in just a few short weeks it'll be here you know well by time you're hearing this in like four weeks it's coming up quick so it's time to start learning about some of these names some of these prospects and um you know, a, a, a fair warning that David and I like to issue out every single year: don't fall in love with one in particular player, because then you're just going to get mad if the Bucks don't draft him. And the odds of them drafting that one specific player that you fall in love with is slim to none. So get to know a lot of the prospects. Get to know which ones you like, which ones you may not like, but become familiar with all of these guys that could potentially. Be playing for your beloved Buccaneers this season if it happens. But we're not going to get into that doom and gloom. Instead, we are going to talk about Buccaneers GM Jason Light joining Get Up on ESPN on Monday. Talking to Mike Greenberg about how basically they landed the most... Accomplished and and the biggest named free agent this sport has ever seen. Yeah,
0: it was it was good to see Jason on there. Obviously, you know, once we found out that he was going to be on the show, you know, it's kind of a a requirement of the job. I think you have to tune in, you have to check out what he's going to say. And uh, I mean, we were talking off air, James. He didn't really say anything, you know, that's you know, earth shattering or or ground shaking, groundbreaking or anything like that. But you know, he did talk about he did expand a little bit on the conversation that he and Bruce Arians had with Tom Brady as the legal tampering and the negotiation period got started for the for the new league year and I was able to find the audio online so I went ahead and and ripped that audio from uh again ESPN's get up well let's let's play it real quick for all the listeners to hear let's bring in the man who pulled it off this is the Buccaneers general manager Jason Light and Jason thank you very much for doing this I'll just ask you as, as simply as I can how did your team land the most accomplished free agent in NFL history
2: well you know I'm asking myself the same thing every once in a while it's it feels kind of like a dream. Uh, it's, it was a great acquisition for us during this time when you know a lot of things that's going on in the in the world with the health crisis it's it's been a nice escape to know that uh, we have uh, Tom Brady. Um, you know it was two weeks ago today that you know the the legal tampering or the negotiation period started when we made the first call to his agent and it seems like two months ago now, but uh, when we made the first call at 12 o'clock um, and he said, you made a good decision to call, uh, we knew that we might have a very good chance of getting him.
0: And, and just take us through it from there, as much as you can tell us about how that process worked.
2: Well, we we spent a lot of time this offseason as soon as the season ended, um, meeting, evaluating every quarterback, every player like we always do, but especially quarterbacks that we thought you know, that could be potential UFAs. Uh, coaches, my scouts did an in-depth, very detailed uh, work uh, on all of them and planning on all of them, which one of them could potentially help us and upgrade us at the position. And Bruce made it clear in some interviews that if Tom Brady was one and, and we did not leave uh, Jameis Winston out of the plan. Um, as soon as Wednesday rolled around and we were able to talk to Tom Brady, Uh, We had a great conversation. Bruce and I, we talked to him for over an hour and a half, and he made it clear in the conversation that uh, he was very, very interested. It was almost like a recruitment on his part, telling us why it would make sense for him to come to Tampa Bay. And the next following day, we signed him. But it was at that phone call that we realized that uh, we felt like, uh, you know, we, we had him.
0: So there you hear Jason Light, you know, obviously general manager of the Buccaneers. If you didn't know, maybe, you know, new fan, welcome to the show. Um, talking about the conversation, which I don't think anybody outside the situation really would have uh, expected that to be the case. And even Jason talking about it on get up there, you kind of see it on his face. Like it's still almost impressive to him that, you know, that, that a guy like Tom Brady and as accomplished as he is in his career would come into that conversation uh, feeling like he had to essentially sell himself and pitch what he can bring. To the
1: Buccaneers roster, into this team for the next two years. Yeah, you and I were discussing it before the show. You know, it was great to see Jason Light on there, but it wasn't anything we hadn't heard. I mean, and even before they had talked about it in Brady's introductory press conference, or or when it was brought up again with Bruce Arians in that call with the media. Yeah, you know, this was something that Rick Stroud wrote about for the Tampa Bay Times shortly after all of this became official, and how Tom Brady had, had gone out of his way to to sell himself to the organization and in fact right when the uh the legal tampering window or the open negotiation window whatever you want to call it basically when free agent actually started on that monday right at noon jason light made the call to uh tom brady's agent is, is it donald ye yes so yeah jason light calls donald Yi right at the strike at 12 and and Yee answers the phone and says it's a good thing you called showing that tom brady already showed some level of interest so i think When Tom Brady started being able to speak with Jason Light and Bruce Arians, it was important for him personally to express why he was interested in the Buccaneers. And I know the Buccaneers are always punching, you know, punchline and and a joke for a lot of people around the NFL. You know, they have the worst winning percentage of any team in any sport. But when you looked at the pieces that that Tom Brady was going to come into, you know, it, it made sense it made sense that Tom Brady would want to come play with some of these guys and play for this head coach. So I think Tom Brady wanted to kind of express his feelings on the matter to make them understand that this is not a, you know, screw you to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. This isn't a money grab. This isn't anything of that sort. This is why I – truly want to play for your team it has nothing to do with the money that you're going to give me it has nothing to do with my past i'm excited about playing with these guys on this team for this coach for these reasons
0: yeah and you know um so after reading or after seeing jason's appearance on get up i actually was kind of you know just browsing the internet and stuff like i potentially during days like this um and i stumbled upon an article or a column that Lee Steinberg, uh, if you don't know, Lee Steinberg is one of the super agents in the sports world, sp- specifically in the NFL. Uh, and he's, he basically is a guest columnist. Uh, I don't, I think he's going to write three more columns for touchdown wire part of USA today. And it, 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 because the conversation that, that they're talking about having, and then what Lee wrote as a, as an experienced agent, um, I'm going to read a little bit of a, I guess a passage from this. So one of the things that Lee wrote is, uh, is uh, quote, when I take a client through free agency, the first step is to have the player do an internal analysis of his values and priorities, how important and in what order does he rank goals, such as short-term financial game, long-term financial security, family considerations, geographical location, profile recognition, endorsements, spiritual values, and making a positive difference in the world. Then we look at the football considerations, starting, winning, quality of coaching, offensive system, quality of teammates, facilities, and training staff. And when I read that, so end quote, when I read that, it kind of takes me back, James, to some of the conversations we had during the off season about whether or not Tom Brady could be a fit, trying to examine all the ups and downs and the, and what we did know and what we didn't know about the Tom Brady situation coming into the free agency period. I feel like our thought process was a little bit supported. We're not living that locker room life, you know what I mean? And I think it's important to understand it's you know empathy, put your put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's walking through football as their profession. Whereas fans, you all have your own professions. James and I, we have our own professions. And then this sports covering thing that we do is, is a side profession that we're pursuing. We're not the ones holding the football playing the game. And that kind of gives you some insight into how agents are, are molding and mentoring their clients and how clients are thinking about these decisions like the one that Tom Brady just made. Here on a Tuesday episode of the Lockdown Bucks podcast, we've just been talking about Jason Light's appearance on ESPN's Get Up. But now we're going to shift gears a little bit. We did our mock draft Monday episode already, but James, it's interesting because we actually talked about the possibility or we brought up, I brought up Cynthia Freeland's uh, mock draft using analytics, which you've now dubbed mockalytics, right? Is that what you called it? It is
1: indeed a uh, mockolytic draft.
0: Yeah, it's a mockalytic draft. And I mentioned that, you know, Cynthia Freeland did the one and it was, it was interesting to see it through that lens because it's a, it's a different sort of way of looking at the NFL draft. Uh, again, she wasn't necessarily predicting those players would go in those positions, but it was just a, an analytical way of looking at it. And it just so happens that we basically spoke it into existence. Uh, and it's it's interesting because the right off the bat, right, the Cincinnati Bengals don't take Joe Burrow. Instead, they take Chase Young, which a lot of people have said, you know, going through this whole thing, if you're taking the best overall player in the entire class, Chase Young is one of those guys that's up there in the conversation. Isaiah Simmons is another guy that's gotten up there in that conversation. Then potentially Joe Burrow, but... Uh, it was actually just today I saw a media member. I can't remember who or what the reference was, so I apologize for that. But they basically said, like, if you're going to talk about quarterbacks being the best, you know, athletes or football players or whatever of all time, are they really? Because they only do so much that like they don't they can't cover. They don't catch the ball. They don't run the ball typically, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So is a guy like Joe Burrow really going to be that type of a guy? Whereas a guy like Chase Young, he's going to stop the run. He's going to go after the, the, the passer. He could intercept the ball. He could cause fumbles or cover fumbles. You know what I mean? Like, he, he literally influenced every phase of a defensive strategy if you really want him to. So interesting that that Cynthia has Chase Young going number one overall. And then Andrew Thomas goes to the Washington Redskins, so there's another interesting pick. Uh, Jeff Okuda, number three to the Detroit Lions, pretty much par for the course. Joe Burrow doesn't come off the board till fifth overall to the Miami, Miami Dolphins. And then, of course, working our way down, Caleb on chase on who's become one of my favorites. If the Buccaneers do go defense in the first round, I would probably prefer they go Caleb on chase on. He goes 11th to the New York Jets. Uh, and then going to pick 14, it's Javon Kinlaw. Last time it was Caleb on chase on, but this time it's, J- it's Javon Kinlaw, defense tackle out of South Carolina. And Cynthia Freeland writes, quote, my model projects Kinlaw's production at interior defensive line would add more to Tampa's 2020 wins than any available o lineman. parentheses, adding right tackle Joe Haig shifted this, close parentheses, or defensive back. Kinlaw's day one impact and Todd Bowles' system forecast to be the most felt against the pass, which will help the Bucs' young defensive backfield as the front and back of defenses complement each other. End quote. So, James, uh, this is day day two. I mean, we had a mock draft Monday. We talked about Derek Brown, defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman being drafted to the Bucks and how we kind of didn't like it. How do you feel about Javon Kinlaw in this mockolytics draft uh, courtesy of Cynthia Freeland?
1: I mean, I I still personally would prefer drafting that that tackle. Uh, I think it's interesting to hear that Andrew Thomas, out of all the tackles, was the first one taken, and not only was he the first one taken, but he was taken at number two. But I I like um, Chase on. I like Kinlaw, and I didn't mean to come across yesterday as not liking Brown. If if that was indeed the case, if anybody got that impression, um, but to me. I I look at getting the offensive line stronger and, and younger, and I understand how in, in the analytic world, and, and we all know how I feel about analytics. If you're new to the show, welcome. Um, I, I do not put a ton of stock in analytics. I look at it as I do everything else. It is a valuable tool. It is not the end all be all. A lot of people look at it as being the end all be all. I've, I feel it is just another piece of the puzzle when looking at football. So with that in mind, I still prefer to go with the, the best available tackle who is, who is sitting there at 14. If there is not one available, am I going to be upset if they go with a Kinlaw or a chase on if, or a Brown, if one of those guys are sitting there? No, absolutely not. I understand the defense does need to get younger and does need to get better. It's one of the younger defenses in the NFL, but you're talking about you you only have Dominican Sue back on a one year deal. William Golston is a guy you can move on from with with no dead cap, I believe, starting next year. I do think he has a little bit of dead money on his contract this year. I could be wrong though. Um, but it, it's it's interesting to see how the the analytics of of these line up because again, you can you can punch in all the analytics you want. When you have an unproven commodity going from the NCAA to the NFL, you're still projecting and you're still estimating what they are able to do at that level. We've we've seen surefire guys that have bombed out of the NFL within a couple of seasons. But you know, heading into the draft, they were they were gonna be the next big thing and the next great thing. So you're you're still playing a guessing game with this with this mockolytic draft. But I don't I don't hate the pick, you know, based off of the stats that she's using. I just prefer to go in another direction.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I I completely agree with you. It's not, uh, you know, it's not that Derek Brown isn't a good prospect. It's not that Javon Kinlaw isn't a good prospect. They're both very good prospects. Calavon Chason's Chaseon's a very good prospect. Um, I just would prefer, I suppose, like to me, offensive tackle is the biggest need. So if you can match that need with first round quality, first round talent, then, you know, then then you should do it. Um, if you can't match that need with quality first-round talent, and not to say that Josh Jones isn't a uh, uh, you know quality first-round offensive tackle, but he's not—I don't think he's a top 15 type of guy—then I would rather see this team trade back, net some more draft picks, so that they can uh, they can add talent by you know in mass. That's just that's just my personal preference. You know what I mean? And that's kind of and James. I mean, you warned everybody about it in the beginning of the episode. You know, don't get too tied to one certain player. Me, I've gotten accustomed to seeing Andrew Thomas mocked to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I've kind of gotten to the point where I actually get a pretty good smile on my face when I think of the idea of Andrew Thomas being selected 14th overall out of Georgia to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, playing 2020 as a right tackle. Joe Haig coming in as you know the guy who comes in as, a, as an eligible receiver every once in a while or if there's an injury he fills in. I've also said on the show, perhaps there's a possibility in the world where the Buccaneers come in, they say, we've got Joe Haig or we've got Donovan Smith, we've got Andrew Thomas, we've got Joe Haig. One of you is going to be a right tackle. One of you is going to be a left tackle. One of you is going to be a backup. Go. Go get the job. And, you know, there, there's a there's a world somewhere where we see Donovan Smith relegated to a backup role potentially. I don't know. I'm not predicting it, but I'm just saying it's possibly that happens. But I think either way, next year, Donovan Smith is probably let go if he doesn't do a rework, similar to what Cameron Bright did, take less money to stay with the team. Andrew Thomas is moving over to the left. And if the Buccaneers need to fill in that spot on the right side, they do so there. And it's important to note, too, right, that this isn't Cynthia Freeland. She even has a note on her mock draft that says, and I'll read it word for word, so this is a quote, I am not, all caps, N-O-T, attempting to predict or divine what teams will actually do, again, all caps, actually do on draft day, end quote. She is simply using her mathematical model to basically take the analytical data, the contextual data that she uses to do all of her work for NFL Network and predict and plug these players into what the, the current system already has, And say this is what the math says gives us the best result. And this is what it is. Not meant to be, uh, you know, so please guys don't at Cynthia Freeland on Twitter and tell her that she's crazy for having Chase Young go to the Bengals because that's not what she's saying. The human factor, the leadership factor, you know, you need a quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Those things still come into play. They just don't come into play in her model.
1: We are talking uh, some NFL draft prospects here on the Locked On Bucks podcast. A- an interesting exchange. David went down on the Twitterverse, and there was a a group of people that did a mock draft for CBS Sports. Lots of people involved in this: Brady Quinn, uh, Danny Cannell, uh, Scott Pioli, Jason Lockenfora, Jonathan Jones, Pete Prisco, Will Brinson uh Jamie Eisenberg, Ryan Wilson and even more. Yeah, you know, a lot of people involved in this mock draft. And so each each person was was picking for various teams and for the record, the uh, the Buccaneers who had Jonathan Jones picking for them traded up with the Panthers to number 7 to draft Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle out of Alabama, Panthers at 14 drafted, and and this is where we're going to get into the conversation we're going to get into, drafted Ohio State corner Jeff Okuda all the way at 14. Why that's important is because at number nine, Pete Prisco drafted Derek Brown out of Auburn. So Prisco started getting some flack on Twitter from Jags fans and even from some non-Jags fans about how dumb it was to take Derek Brown over Jeffrey Okuda at that nine spot. They're talking about an elite cornerback prospect falling into your lap at number nine and, and turning him down in favor of, of Derek Brown. And so Prisco was being his usual Prisco self, and he was telling people they were entitled to their wrong opinion, and he was calling people morons and telling them to learn the game of football. And somebody tweeted to him and said Brown over Okuda would be a disaster. Brown is a good player. Okuda is an elite cornerback prospect. If he's there at nine, Jacks should turn in the card immediately to which Prisco retweeted and said Brown will be a dominant player and Okuda is the best of a bad cornerback class, but far from elite. Now we have other NFL media people jumping in. Albert Breer jumps in and says, Pete, You know I respect your opinion. You're wrong about Okuda. He has the potential to be one of the best in the NFL. Then Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, he jumps in. And he says, Okuda is my highest rated cornerback since Jalen Ramsey. The third highest cornerback I've ever, or the third highest cornerback grade I've ever handed out behind Jalen Ramsey and Patrick Peterson. So, That brings us to to this debate here, where I believe Okuda is an elite prospect, for sure. Number one corner in the class, and it doesn't matter how bad the class is. That doesn't take away from how good Okuda is. But is he that much better than Derek Brown out of Auburn? I think he is. I think he's the better NFL prospect between the two, but... I don't think I would be mad if my team drafted Brown ahead of Okuda later on in, in at the end of April here.
0: What it sounds like to me is that you have a you have one section of people who are looking at it essentially in a vacuum and then you have another section of people who are looking at it as what the team needs, how the player fits in, what the team needs. And it's it's the same. It's the classic argument that we have every draft season, which is best player available versus team need. And my argument and my, my preferred method, I suppose you want to call it, that would always be a combination of the two. And so we're talking the Jacksonville Jaguars here, right? That's who passed on Okuda and
1: took Derek Brown. Correct. Yes. Yes. Prisco was drafting for the Jags yeah. and he opted to take uh, to take Brown over Okuda at that nine spot. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, if you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars defense just from 2019, right? 16th in the league or allowing 236.1 yards per game on average. This is a defense that is, is somewhat middle of the road, but they've lost some key pieces, right? Yannick Ngakwe says he doesn't want to play for the Jags anymore. Obviously, he still currently sits there with the team, but we'll see how that whole thing develops. Calais Campbell is gone. Jalen Ramsey is gone. A.J. Bouye is gone. Like You have a lot of pieces of that defense that are gone. I'll give my opinion on, on this whole thing. And coming from a Jacksonville Jaguars standpoint, Saxonville is dead. It, it no longer resides in Duval County. So if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, if I'm the general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars and I'm looking to reestablish a defensive identity, I want to do it by putting as much pressure as possible on the quarterback. How am I going to do that? Well, first, you got to get to the quarterback, right? You got to reset the line of scrimmage. You got to push the quarterback out of their comfort zone, get them out of the pocket or keep them in the pocket, depending on who the quarterback is, which means you've got to have penetration. You've got to have ground movers on your front line. Jeff Okuda in a vacuum as a cornerback is a better cornerback than than Derek Brown is an interior defensive lineman, in my opinion, and I think James, you agree. I will concur. So, to me, the Jaguars in 2020 would be better served drafting Derek Brown over Jeff Okuda. Derek Brown is is a top ten NFL talent, and he solves the bigger part of the need for the Jacksonville Jaguars defense.
1: Well, in a lot of the arguments that I saw being made, which I I am slightly inclined to agree with, but again, you never know how these things are going to fall. You draft in that situation, you draft Jeff Okuda at number nine, and then you're addressing the pass rush with the 20th pick. So you take that elite corner. And then you're you're going to have edge rushers. You're going to have interior defensive linemen available to you at the number 20 spot. And for reference, in this particular draft, your boy, um, Von Chason, went 19 to uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, just one pick ahead of the Jags. But your point still stands that, you know, for a defense the way that the Jaguars are right now, you have to address the front lines you know we've we said it for years with the Buccaneers to bring this all back full circle before we get out of here because I know we're we're over on time you know we we watched the Bucks spend pick after pick after pick addressing the secondary and we kept screaming where's the help for Gerald McCoy you know in that situation if the Bucks were like well the the one missing piece that we have on defense is a corner and we just had Jeff Okuda fall to us boom that's the smart pick in that situation. So David, I, I totally get what you're saying here and and I agree with you completely.
0: Yeah, no, I mean and, and the Buccaneers would be a completely different situation. The Jacksonville Jaguars are sitting internally and they're saying, you know what, guys, let's just be honest here. We're three years away. Well, if you're three years away, you should probably be changing your head coach because I don't think you're gonna keep Doug Marone for three years through a rebuild. Like I don't think that's that's a thing. So if you're already in rebuild mode, then you might as well have just gotten rid of your head coach and get a new guy in there. Uh, So the fact that they're keeping him tells me that they're looking for Minshew Madness to take them to the playoffs, which means you need to build this team. But we talked about it yesterday, right? You talk about pairings. If the Jacksonville Jaguars have that late teens or early 20s pick and they have that top 10 pick, would you rather have a guy like Jeff Okuda with that early pick? And then you're you're end up drafting because if you're talking defensive line like Caleb on chase, I love the dude, but Caleb on chase on without a defensive line to eat up blocks or be, you know, be a concern isn't going to do anything because all they're going to do is dedicate those resources on the offensive line, the running back and tight ends to him. But if you take Jeff Okuda, then in the later pick, you're looking at Neville Gallimore or Ross Blacklock, who are both solid prospects. But let's be honest, neither of them are are looking like day 1 guys. Like neither of them look like they, they both look like day 2 guys. Or Would you rather have Derek Brown and then have Christian Fulton or Trayvon Diggs? I mean, to me, if you have Derek Brown and Christian Fulton or Trayvon Diggs, you've got two starters on your defense in Jacksonville, whereas if you take Jeff Okuda and then you reach on Neville Gallimore at 20, when this is a guy who's being mocked in like the 30 to 40 range, you've got a starting cornerback who's really good, and you better hope he can cover for 10 full seconds because he's got no pass rush to keep that wide receiver in front of him. That's the way I look at it. That's the
1: last thing I'll say on the whole thing. Yeah, and I do stand corrected. Um, Caleb on Chason was taken twenty one, one pick after the Jags. It was Javon Kinlaw who went to the Raiders one pick ahead of the Jags. So that was oh, that's insane. That's that's that situation where you could have taken Okuda, you see Kinlaw dropping, you can jump up and take pick. You him would have to pick. trade back up. Yeah. You'd have to spend more draft capital, but you know what, man? Right. I mean, if you
0: got to spend a little bit more draft capital, and you, and you come you away with Okuda and, and, Kinlaw? and Kinlaw, yeah. Okay, yeah. now yeah. you got me yeah. sold, but I don't see how Kinlaw gets that far in the first I don't round. Either. You know what I mean? But yeah, but that's it's all about the pairings. You know what I'm saying? And if, yeah, because if you get Okuda and Kinlaw, tch, Yahtzee. You know what I mean? You do that deal ten times out of ten, but I just don't see it. I think if you go Okuda there you're looking at – you're reaching on a Gallimore or a Blacklock or you're going to a completely different position altogether. And, you know, now you're – now, again, you're back in rebuild mode because in the second round, you're going to take a defensive lineman who honestly is just not going to make the impact in 2020 that you need to make the other draft picks look good. Now, again, three to five years from now, you know what I mean? That defense could look really dangerous. Caleb on chase on Jeff Okuda there. You get a pass you get a you get a defensive line set in 2021 and all of a sudden you look like a genius. Here's the problem, head coach you're out of a job. You're watching Jacksonville do that from a distance. You're not there to do yeah. it right now. So, again, that's Jay, where the problems come in. Jay Gruden's already waiting in the wings. Yeah, that's that's the problem with, you know, what what fans and and media some media members will see is they're thinking big picture, they're thinking long term. This business ain't long term. Like right. this business is 2-3 years from now at most, but mostly you're talking this year and what does my owner want compared to this year and how can we get there? And if Shad Khan is telling the, the brain trust in Jacksonville that we need to get back to the playoffs, we got the sexiest quarterback in the league, we need to make sure we get to the postseason, I'm sorry, but Jeff Okuda in the top 10 is probably not going to get you there.
1: Uh, first off, they have Gardner Menchow, not Tom Brady, so Shad Khan is wrong. <laughs> but then again, to bring this full circle as we wrap this up, that's why you know the, the Buccaneers fans that are complaining you know, yeah, we got Tom Brady, but we only get him for two years. What's the long term plan? There is no long term plan right now. Bruce Arians is not going to fulfill this entire yeah. contract. They are all in right now. So, yeah, like you said, there is no there is no long term in the NFL. You got to win, and you got to win now, or you are unemployed. And Jason Light knows that he's gotta he's gotta make a big splash right now, or the Bucks may be looking for a new GM. And a new head coach when when Bruce Arians leaves. So, yeah, most definitely. With, with that, we have got to get out of here because we did run uh, we did run pretty long on this one. So you know, you guys know the business. Check out bucksnation.com. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Follow along on Twitter at lockedonbucks at jarko underscore bucks at dh eighty two underscore bucks and at bucks underscore nation. If you all want football, you all want your sports back. You all want your normalcy back. Stay inside. We've extended the, the social distancing until April 30th. Virginia is is has issued a stay-at-home order until June 10th. Stop partying on beaches. Stop going and hanging out at bars. Stay home, and we will get these things back. If you don't, there's going to be a whole lot of episodes of Locked On Bucks, reviewing Madden simulations because we're not going to have a season stay home, stay safe, stay healthy wash your hands and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks